Welcome. This is the Woodbury Church of Christ Sermon Podcast. We're glad that you tuned in. We had a few audio difficulties with today's sermon, so you may have to turn the volume up a little bit to hear clearly. We'll get it fixed and have it ready to go next time. And if you'd like to know more about our church, you can find out all the information at woodburychurch.org. Or we'll see you some Sunday, Sundays at 10 a.m. Looking forward to it. In October 2011, a human aid worker in Somalia by the name of Jessica Buchanan was captured by some pirates. Somalia was a war-torn area. She was over there helping children learn how to not step on bombs. But she and her colleague were captured, and they were taken to a remote desert spot in Somalia. And the ransom for the release was demanded. And over the next several months, negotiators went back and forth trying to figure out a way to meet the ransom demands so that she and her colleague would be able to return. And in an interview on 60 Minutes that was posted a year or so after that, so spoiler alert, she didn't survive. She talks a lot about the pain and the struggle and the harrowing events that were part of her being captured. She talked about how they lived out in the open in the desert where it was hot during the day and cold at night and where there was no shelter even when it was the rainy season. She talked about on how several occasions she thought that she was going to be killed. So one thing that she started to do was she noticed in the Somali skies at night a particular star that she could see off in the distance. And one night, when it was particularly dark out because there was no moon, she looked to the star and she prayed really to her mother, saying to her mother, please tell God to hurry up because I don't think I can manage this much longer. And that night, some Navy SEALs parachuted into Somalia and came into the camp. And they killed the pirates and they rescued Jessica Buchanan and her colleague. It's a gripping story, much more gripping than I'm able to share with you this morning. But one of the things that has struck me, I've thought about after that story is, I wonder what happened to Jessica Buchanan after. I wonder how long she had nightmares. I wonder how long she had flashbacks. I wonder if she dealt with her own depression afterwards. I, I wonder if she kept looking over her shoulder, expecting something bad to happen, because that is what often happens to people who are traumatized. This morning, we're continuing our discussion, our series on the struggle is real, having to do with mental and emotional health and Christianity. And today, I'd like to talk about trauma. And what is trauma exactly? Well, one of the uh, leading experts in the United States these days on trauma is a psychiatrist by the name of Vessel Vanderbilt. Uh, you might have heard of him. He's wrote, he'd written a book called The Body Keeps the Score. It was on the New York bestsellers list for months, I think. And in an interview he gave, he described trauma as this one. Trauma is something that happens to you that makes you so upset it overwhelms you. 
It's different from stress. It's different even from crises that happen in our lives because in those sorts of instances, we, we find a way to put things together and manage it and to be able to move on, to adapt. But with a, with a trauma, it's so difficult because it becomes overwhelming. We oftentimes think about trauma as an event. Trauma is a car accident that you're in where you're severely injured, or a, a trauma occurs to soldiers who are in war and they see some of their colleagues killed. Trauma is an assault that happens to somebody who's, not, who's not expecting it. And most of us, or at least many of us, will experience some sort of a traumatic event in our life, probably maybe not as intense as some of the ones I've just been talking about, or certainly not like Elizabeth or, or, or Jessica Buchanan uh, suffered through. But we'll experience these moments where something happens to us that's, that's so upsetting to us that it overwhelms us. In fact, for some people, they happen on a regular basis. Children, for example, who grow up in a home that's marked by violence and abuse and neglect. Somebody who grows up with an alcoholic parent who becomes mean and is very difficult to, to predict what they're going to do next. Somebody uh, who is in war and, 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 uh, or in a difficult job situation in a toxic work environment where they can't escape. But it's not often always the traumatic events that really linger with us. If you want to go to the next slide, Van der Koch also talks about trauma this way. He says trauma is not actually the story of what happened to us a long time ago. Trauma is the residue that's living inside of you now. And one of the things that occurs with trauma is that a traumatic event may happen to us. It may happen to us repeatedly in our childhood. And then we move past that. Jessica Buchanan is no longer in captivity. A child is no longer in a home that's marked by violence. But for months and years and sometimes decades later, they still feel the residual effects of that trauma. There are a lot of responses that people have to a traumatic event. Immediately, sometimes people have a whole range of emotions from fear to helplessness to anger. They may feel some disorientation in their life. They, they may feel like they're out of control and overwhelmed. They may feel fatigued, very tired. They may have flashbacks and memories about what has happened in the past. And over time, they may then move past that. But they still feel some effects. They feel irritable. And they get depressed very easily. Or they might have difficulty sleeping. Or maybe they have what sometimes is called hyperarousal, meaning that they're just always on edge, always thinking about something that, that, that might happen to them that's, that's a problem. And over time, they get over it, so to speak. But not really. Because the residue of those traumatic events that happened continue. And they continue to deal with the challenge of the trauma. A good example of this 
is uh, the ACEs study. Maybe some of you have heard about this adverse child experiences study. It was originally done out in California and it's been replicated a number of times in the last 20 years or so. And in the ACEs study, they looked at childhood trauma and they picked up 10 different indicators of childhood trauma. Things like abuse and neglect and living with an alcoholic parent and living with a parent who had a mental dis disorder and, uh, and, and several others. There are 10 of them all together. And they measured how many adverse experiences amongst the sample of people like how many adverse experiences people reported having in childhood. And then they began to look at other outcomes in their lives. Psychological outcomes, emotional outcomes, physical outcomes. And one of the things they discovered was that even in adulthood, people who had experienced four or more of these adverse child outcomes or indicators had a higher degree of incidence of cancer, heart attack, type 2 diabetes, Alzheimer's, and were more prone to suicide than other people in the study. Now, why? I mean, these adverse child experiences, you know, were left years before. Why are they having these physical indicators years down the line, that negative physical indicators? And the, and, and the evidence seems to suggest that it's because this trauma stays with us. When we've had these traumatic events that happen in our lives, unless we try to do something about them, they're still going to be there. They're still hanging around. I think something that people who experience trauma understand is the world is not a safe place. They perhaps understand it because they know what it's like to have your world turned upside down in a moment because somebody has assaulted you. Or they know what it's like to live in a home environment that's not safe. And so they begin to look at other places in their lives, and again, a general idea arrives that the world is really kind of a dangerous place. A few years ago, I moved from Hudson to St. Paul. I really like the move. But I will tell you that where I live now is not nearly as safe as where I used to live. When I lived in Hudson, we never locked our doors. We'd go off for the day, go to work, come back at the end of the day, you know, I don't even know where our key was. Now, I have an alarm system. <coughs> this was really driven home to me a couple of years ago. Vicki woke me up in the middle of the night. She said, I think I just heard gunshots. And so we went to our, our guest room, which overlooked the street, and sure enough, there were police cars that were starting to gather. Turns out there were two people that were shot and killed across the street the murders that have not been solved. I, I don't go around when I walk around in the neighborhood walking around in terror, but I will tell you that I'm probably more on alert than I did than I was when I lived in Hudson. I'm more aware that something could happen. That the world is not quite as safe as I used to think it was. And I think that's the experience of a lot of people who have experienced trauma. Their general approach in looking at the world is it's not really a safe place. 
And, and so when someone is living with trauma, oftentimes they may find themselves on guard, waiting for something perhaps to occur. Not that they're doing so consciously, but there's this little stream that runs at the back of their mind that says, you need to be aware. You need to be watching out. You need to be on guard. Because the world is not a safe place. It's dangerous. And you need to be aware of it. You ever play tag when you were a kid? I used to play tag when I was a kid. Going on to the next slide. This particular picture shows a tag that was happening. This picture was in 1860. So, so the tag's been around for a long time, right? And you remember how to play tag. You know, somebody's it, right? And when you're it, it's your job to chase the other people who are playing tag all around, and you you catch one of them. And when you manage to catch up to somebody and you tag them, they become it. And you, instead of becoming the chaser become the chasee. I have to tell you that, you know, when I play this game with my grandkids now, I'm not very good at it because I'm just getting way too tired. <laughs> They're all faster than I am. But when I was growing up and we were playing tag, we used to have something we called ghoul. Anybody remember ghoul? Maybe you had a different name for it, okay? And ghoul was the safe place where you could go where you could not be tagged. In this picture, if you look really closely at it, there's a guy in the back and he's touching a tree, right? He's on ghoul. Because as long as he's touching the tree, the other guy can't come to him and tag him and say, you're it. He's safe. When we played tag in my backyard when I was a kid, it was the back stoop. As long as you were on the back stoop, you were safe. You were an ghoul, and you couldn't be touched and become it. Well, a lot of trauma therapy is about helping people find ghoul. It's helping people recognize that, yes, indeed, the word, the world is not the same place. There's a lot of danger out there, but not every place is unsafe. That there are places you can go that are safe, where you can let your guard down, where you can get some rest, and where you can get some rested. And those are the places that we need to find. And as Christians, I believe we have a rule. It's God. He's our safe place. He's the one that we can go to when we're recognizing that we're living in a dangerous world. He is our harbor of safety. I recently watched The Chronicles of Narnia with a couple of my grandkids. I don't know if you've ever seen those or read the books. If you haven't, you really should. They're just, they're just wonderful, wonderful books. But, but, but the character, the main character in The Chronicles of Narnia is a lion who's known as Aslan. And Aslan is the god figure in The Chronicles of Narnia. And the characters in the, in the Chronicles of Narnia are quick to remind us that Aslan is not a tame lion. But he's good. And he's safe. And he's someone we can go to when we are struggling with difficulties. And, and when the chips are down and when their backs are up against the wall, it is Aslan who comes through and saves the day. 
And I have to think, when David wrote Psalm 18, that that must have been some of what he was talking about. Because Psalm 18 is written when David is, is no longer being chased around the wilderness. You may remember the story. In fact, I referred to it a couple weeks ago when I was speaking. That, 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 that Saul was trying to get rid of David. He recognized that David was supposed to be anointed as the next king. And he was insanely jealous of that. And so because of that, the king Saul decided that the best way to handle it was to get rid of David. And so he chased him all around the countryside. And for a long time, I don't know if it was weeks or months or years, David is living this life where what he is seeking to do is to get away from Saul. And he finds himself going all over the countryside. And he finds himself hiding in caves and going to towns that are outside of Israel. And he's always watching over his shoulder. Because the world is not safe. Because if he's not careful, Saul is going to catch him and he's going to kill him, even though David knows that he has been anointed the next king of Israel and that God is going to see him through. And then one day, Saul goes into battle and he's killed. And David no longer has to look over his shoulder. And in Psalm 18, he says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge. My shield and the horn of my salvation. My stronghold. I call upon the Lord, who is worthy to be praised. And so I shall be saved from my enemies. David says, I was living in a dangerous world. But God was my rock. God was my fortress. God was my deliverer. God was my safe place that I could go to. But is he really? Is God really safe? One of my favorite singers is a fellow by the name of Jason Isbell. And, one of, and in one of his songs, he describes God as a pipe bomb ready to blow. And I wonder sometimes if people who have experienced trauma may see God in a similar sort of way. That he's unpredictable. That at the end of the day, they don't really know what he's going to do because. If God was so good, then why did he allow my child to die? If God was so good, then why did he let me be assaulted? If God was so good, why did he let this hurricane or this tornado blow through my town and take, take out my house and leave me homeless? Where was God when I needed him? And maybe you've asked that sort of question yourself. And if you have, you're not alone. David asked the same question. A number of times. If you read in the Psalms, the uh, lament Psalms, as we sometimes refer to them, you'll find David asking those very kinds of questions. God, where are you when I needed you? Are you really safe? Why do bad things happen to good people? That's a question we've been wrestling with for a long time as, as humans. It's a question that a number of years ago, a fellow by the name of Harold Kushner, a rabbi, 
wrote a book about it. became a bestseller. I remember reading it. And I was dissatisfied with his answer then. And I'm still dissatisfied. Because Kushner's response was, the reason bad things happen to good people is because God is not powerful enough to prevent them. God loves us. And if God were powerful enough to take care of the bad things that were happening in our lives, he would surely do that. Therefore, God must not be all-powerful. I really didn't like that answer. And I have, I, as I've thought about it over the years, I think I've come to a different one. Why do bad things happen to good people? Because bad things happen. Yeah. They happen to good people. They happen to bad people. They happen to rich people. They happen to the poor people. They happen to men, they happen to women, they happen to people in every corner of the world. And no matter how you slice up the demographic pie, every slice is going to have people in it who've had bad things happen to them. Sure, some slices are going to have more people than others. But everyone experiences bad things. So why is it allowed to happen? I guess we'll have to ask them one of these days. I don't have a good answer for it. C.S. Lewis tried to answer it once in a book called The Problem of Pain, and his, his answer to it was that God has given his whole creation free will. And that if he stepped in every time something bad was going to happen, we would no longer have free will. And we wouldn't have the free will to choose to follow him. But at the end of the day, I don't know why bad things happen to good people, but I do know this. God does not cause traumatic events to happen in our lives. He's the rock. He's the safe place. He's the ghoul that we can go to when the trauma happens to us. I think there's another place we can go to. At least, I would hope we could go to. And it's here. Right here. It's you and me. It's the people who are seeking to serve God and, and who are disciples of Jesus who are trying to be like Him. Peter describes us this way. He says, you are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the excellence of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So if God is a place of refuge, we should be a place of refuge as well. Right? But are we? Are we safe? I think some people would say, no, we're not a very safe place to be. The churches in general are just not very safe. They tend to experience church as a place of judgment. As a place where the very last place you might want to come and be vulnerable and be willing to talk about the challenges that you're facing in your life. And some people have the scars to prove it. 
They can tell you about times when they came and they confessed their shortcomings and what they were met with was rejection instead of acceptance. And so there may be a sense among some people that this is not a very safe place. You know, confession is an interesting concept. We talk about it a lot as somebody is learning how to become a Christian. But in my experience, we don't talk about it much after that. And nor do we tend to practice it much after that. Why is it that we don't confess things to one another so much? I think part of it may be because confession is often associated with shame, guilt. I know I've done something wrong. I'm coming forward. I'm letting you know about it. I'm telling you about it. And I'm afraid that you're going to reject me. I'm afraid that you're going to think that you're better than me. I'm afraid that you're, you're not really going to listen to me. And you're not going to be able to ex experience my pain. And you're not going to be able to be supportive of me. That's what I'm afraid of. And so rather than go through that, I just won't say anything. A few years ago, I was watching the York College Choir rehearse. And as I'm watching them rehearse and they're singing through this song, all of a sudden I see somebody in the back row and their arm shoots up in the air for a second and then it comes back down. And then pretty soon somebody over here their arm shoots up in the air and comes back down. And then somebody over here their arm shoots up and I'm thinking, what in the world is going on? I mean, this does not seem choreographed in any way, and this seems kind of random arms shooting up in the, in the air. And so afterwards, I asked somebody, I said, what was all this deal about your raising your hand when you're in the middle of the song? And he said, well, our director has asked us every time we make a mistake to raise our hands <laughs> so that we'll know about it and so we can do something different. And I thought, that's confession. Yeah. Yeah. Confession is not about shame. Confession is about change. Because we're all in the same boat. That's right. That's right. As Clayton reminded us, for all who sin and fall short of the glory of God, Paul said. We're all sinners. We're, we're all going to make mistakes. And the purpose of sharing that with one another is not to feel bad. It's so that we can learn from it. And so we can support one another so that we can go ahead and, to, and make changes in our lives so that we will be conformed more and more to the image of Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. That's why we need each other. That's what's important. That we be conformed to the image of Jesus. And I'll tell you right now, I'm not always very good at it. And I need your help. But I make those mistakes. So, are we a safe place? I suppose it depends on whom you ask. But I would say that the answer to that is probably not entirely. We're not entirely safe because we're people. And people don't always treat each other in a way that would be helpful 
for one another. But I hope that we recognize that we're not just people. That we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people who belong to God in order that we may proclaim the excellence of Him who has called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. We're not just people. We are seeking to be God's people. We are seeking to become more and more like Jesus. And I hope that as we are doing that, as we are seeking to become more like Jesus, we will become a safer and safer place for people to be. And as the praise team come back up. And while they come on back up, would you go to the next slide? I just want to remind us all about an invitation that Jesus has given to us, whether we've experienced trauma or not. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. I will be that place you can go to. I will be your point of respite. I will be the place where you can let down your guard and breathe. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We need to take advantage of that rest. We need to recognize that Jesus is our rescue. He is our rock. He is our ghoul. And I, my prayer for us, as his people, is that we will be transformed more and more into the image of Jesus. And as we are, we will become a safer and safer place for people to be.